good. That was good. Exodus chapter 14 tonight. Exodus chapter 14. We've been in this book for the last couple of weeks as we looked at some important lessons from the life of the children of Israel. God wrote these words, of course, for his peculiar people, which are the Jews, but also for the peculiar people, which are which is us, lessons. These are for our admonishment. It's for our edification. It's for our encouragement. It's for our uh, rebuke sometimes. Because we are much like the children of Israel. If you read their their history and their rebellion, uh, it patterns so sadly just, just us. We are prone to wonder, Lord, I fear. Prone to leave the God I love. If you say, preacher, that's not me. And uh, I got an altar you go to right down there after the service. Because I don't know anybody who's honest with themselves that doesn't struggle in the Christian life. The person who's, who says they don't struggle is just not an honest person. Because even Paul the Apostle struggled. Everybody struggles because we all have a sin nature. And God in his wisdom and providence chose not to take that sin nature away from us when we were saved, but when we get to heaven, and the one of the glorious things about heaven is there'll be no more sin nature. What that? What would that like? I'd just like to live five minutes. I can't wait just five minutes. Don't have to worry about temptation. Don't have to think about it. Don't have to worry about evil thought. Don't think about getting upset and getting mad. Be in the spirit one second, be in the flesh the next second. Well, the children of Israel, they went through that. They went through that. Imagine being in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. By the grace of God, this time next next month, I'm going to be get to go down to Egypt and some of the, see some of these places. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But Exodus chapter 14, verse 15 tonight, we looked at how God led them by a pillar of fire, by cloud and a pillar of fire, pillar, pillar of cloud and a, pi- a pillar of fire. And how he was guiding and directing them. And we looked at last week how they were between the devil and the deep blue sea. <clears throat> and they are, they are between the, the Egyptian army on one side and the, and the Red Sea on the other side. And sometimes in life we find ourselves in that pickle. You may be finding yourself right now thinking to yourself, I cannot afford to buy any Christmas this year. That might be you. You cannot afford to buy one thing for Christmas this year. For sometimes, for some folks, Christmas is the most depressing time of the year as they sit watching Frosty the Snowman again by themselves in front of the TV. Some folks are going to celebrate the new year. Well, they were with a bunch of folks last year. Now they're just, it's just them and the dog or them and the cat. And the cat don't say much. Uh, sometimes they don't, depending on the cat. But it can, it, can be so, it can be the greatest time for most, but for many, it's, gonna, it's a sad time. It's a sad time. And so sometimes all of us find ourselves between the devil and deep blue sea. If you don't find yourself there tonight, you, <laughs> as they say in Star Trek, before God started, you will. <laughs> you will find yourself there one of these days. And sometimes God in his mercy and love brings us in that situation because it's only in times of hardship and pain and suffering that we actually call out to Jesus for help. Kids, we're pretty sad. We're pretty, we're pretty self-sufficient on our own. 
You know, even in Christianity, we come, we do, we show up on Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday night, we go through the rituals, we go, we do all these things, we have a list of rules, rules, right, wrong, all that kind of stuff. And unfortunately, somebody has said, what would happen in church service if the Holy Spirit didn't show up? Most of the time, church service would just be the same. Most most service, church service, they'd go through, they'd go through their litany of things, but the Holy Spirit, whether he was there or not, it wouldn't make any difference. That's why we need to pray that God be with us and, and not just go through this, not just to be here because it's just another service, but ask God to be with us as we hear the preaching and teaching of God's word that he may change us and mold us and make us. But Exodus chapter 14, verse 15 tonight, let's look at it. It says in this verse, and the Lord said unto Moses, wherefore Christ thou unto me, speak unto the children of Israel that thou go forward, but lift up thy rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it, the children of Israel shalt thou, shall thou go on dry land through the midst of the sea. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. I will get me honor upon, upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, upon his chariots, upon his horsemen, and the Egyptians, and, shall I know that, and they shall know, shall know that I am the Lord, that have gotten me out of the honor of, upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, upon his horsemen. Verse 19, the angel of the Lord, God, uh, Went, went, uh, which went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went from before their face and stood behind them, and it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. It was a cloud and a darkness to them, but it gave, but it gave light by night to those, so that the one came not near the other all the night. And Moses stretched, stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry. Land and the waters were divided. And every time I read that, I think of Charleston Heston. I just cannot get that out of my mind. You have watched it. You know exactly what I'm talking about right now. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground. The waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and the horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning watch the Lord looked upon the upon unto the host of Egyptians through the pillar of fire and into the cloud and troubled the host of Egyptians and took off the chariot wheels. And they, they drive them heavily. So the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. The Lord said to Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon the chariots, upon the horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea. And the sea returned to the to his to its his strength and it, when the morning appeared, the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea, and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the hosts of Pharaoh <coughs> came into the sea after them, and there remained not so much as one of them. And the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea. And the waters were a wall unto them on the right hand, on the left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day, out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw great work which Lord did, did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the, feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant, Moses. Father, tonight we ask you to come to be in the midst of us tonight. To, to speak to us through your word and through your spirit. Lord, if there are areas in our life we need to change. Oh God, we need you. We need you, Lord. Our faith one day will be sight. And as we stand before you, God, help us to have faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please you. 
So may we be men and women of faith, trusting you in difficult times, in hardships, in, in, in times of financial difficulty, family difficulty, in times of success, <laughs> and wealth, and much. May we trust you, but in times when we have nothing seemingly, may we trust you. Because whether we have or we have not, you are God. And we trust you tonight, and we ask you to be with us and teach us what we need to learn this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. A wealthy family in England took their children to the country. The children went swimming in a pool. One of them began to drown. The son of the gardener jumped in and rescued the helpless one. The grateful parents asked the gardener what they could do for the youthful hero. The gardener said his son wanted to go to college. He wants to be a doctor, they said. We'll be glad to pay his way through school, they told him. When Winston Churchill was stricken with pneumonia after the Terran conference, the king of England instructed the best doctor to be found to save the prime minister. The doctor was Mr. Fleming, the developer of penicillin. Rarely, said Churchill to Fleming, was one man owed his life twice by the same rescuer. It was Fleming who saved Churchill in the pool. Oh, dear friend, the Lord God saved the Israelites. And, dear friend, the Lord saves his people. He saves us. He wants to save us. We see this wonderful miracle, the children of Israel, through the Red Sea. First of all, this evening we see the command. Moses has been told by God here in this chapter, chapter 14. In verse 16, it says, But lift up thou rod, and stretch thine hand over the sea, and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry gr ground through the midst of the sea. I'm amazed. God just told him to do a simple act. Just pick up that rod that I gave you and lift it up. You know, sometimes God just wants you to do small things for him. Hey, picking up a rod, not too hard to do. Some people say to me, Preacher, I can't sing in the choir. Have you tried? I can't go on visitation. Can you walk? Can you walk and can you talk? If you can walk and talk, you can go on visitation. Hey, if you can walk and talk, you can have a flyer to somebody and say, hey, would you come to Christmas Eve service? We have so many gifts and abilities, and God asked us to do small things. Give 10% of your total income. He didn't say 90. He could say 90 and give us the 10. And we'd be grateful to live with 10. But he say we'll live with 90. But he says, no, I just take 10. It's just, it's just a little bit. Considering he owns all of it, right? Name me something right now that God doesn't own. He owns your car out there. He owns your house right there. He owns your glasses on your head. He owns your head. He owns your feet. He owns your body. He owns everything. Only by his grace and his mercy do, mercy do we breathe and live and see and hear and feel. He owns it all. And he can take it all. It's his. It's all his. Oh, praise God. He just wants us to do the small stuff, dear friend. Do the small stuff. You know, you say, what do I do in life? Just the next thing God wants you to do. Tomorrow morning, get up, read your Bible. That's not a whole lot hard to do. Take 15 minutes and spend time with the creator of the universe. 15 minutes. 
or something. That's a hard thing to do. Well, you know, it's hard to pick up that remote control and hit that TV box and after about 25 steps finally get to Netflix. <laughs> How about take 15 minutes and spend with Jesus tomorrow? How about take five, hey, take five minutes and pray to God. I had a preacher one time say he struggled reading the Bible. And he went to his preacher before he, before he, when he got saved, first got saved. He said, I, I want to read the Bible. And the preacher said to him, Get in the Bible tomorrow morning and read one verse. He said, just one. He said, that's one more than you read yesterday. <laughs> read one verse. He said, well, I could do it. I, I read one verse a week. Then he went to the preacher and said, what's next? He said, read two. And then every week, read three, read four, read five, read six. Then it got to a chapter. Then it got to two chapters. Then it got three. But see, dear friend, if you won't read one, where are you going to be? Everybody in this room, from the youngest in this room back in the back to the oldest in this room, can read one verse. Better to do something small than do nothing at all. You say, preacher, I can't tell everybody in my, in my whole street, my no no neighborhood about Jesus. How about the next time you go shopping, ladies, and I know you're going to go shopping next week. How about just giving one track out? How about just staying, hey, here's a track. And I, you know what I do? I, give, I go up to a person, if I have a track like this right here, I say, this is, the best not, this is the best information I've ever received in my life, and I give it to them. And a lot of times, they'll, go, they'll grab it, and they'll say, thank you, because I think some of them think it's a gift card, but it's not. But it's more valuable, and it, it's more valuable than a million-dollar gift card to the Cheesecake Factory. Well, y'all got quiet on that one. <laughs> but it is. It's the, it's the most valuable thing. Moses just didn't need to do something small. Everybody, I got to do the miracle. I got to do the great thing. No, dear, the power's not in you. The power's in God. But he just wants you to have the faith to pick up the rod. God did the, God did the miracle, but he wants us to act in faith. But if Moses did not pick up that rod and lift it up, the children of Israel would be dead right now. It takes faith. It takes faith. Do you have faith? And just a little bit of faith to pick up the rod and ask God for strength. He'll provide the way, but he has for faith. The Bible says in Proverbs 15, 19, the way of the slothful man is a hedge of thorns, but the way of the righteous is made plain. Isaiah 42, verse 16, I will bring the blind by the way that they know not. I will lead them in the paths they have not known. I will make a darkness light before them and crooked things straight. These things will I do unto them and they, that they forsake me not. Psalm 32, 8, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way that which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Our responsibility is simply just to do what Lord is leading us to do. Pick up that rod. Give up that track. Pick up that Bible. Take, take, this, take this directory and pray through it. You know how much it means to this church if every person sitting here tonight Every day would just go take this directory that you have at your house, and after you've read the Bible and after you pray for your family, pray for these folks. Just go down this list. I'm praying for Linda Alexander. I'm praying for Wayne and Lana Anderson. I'm praying for Olga. I'm praying for Joe and June. I'm praying for the Berrigans. Just start down this list and pray for them. That's the greatest thing. What can you do for North Gainesville Baptist Church? Pray for us. That's the best thing you could do for us. Because we, as a body of believers, we need your prayers. Now, dear friend, that's not hard to do. I'm not asking you to do a marathon. 
I'm not asking you to do something great. I'm not asking you to, to do something uh, crazy or, uh, out, or something that people think, well, how can the world can it possible? No, just pick up something and pray. The Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 11, Thou just divide the land and the sea before them, so that thou, through the midst of the sea, on the dry, dry land, and through persecutors, through, though thou threwest into the depths of the stone and to the mighty waters. He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the flood on foot. There did we rejoice in him, Psalm 66, verse 6. They have, they, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea, by, as by dry land, what the Egyptians were saying to do with the drowned. We see the command, but the concrete hearts. What happened? These, these folks, these Egyptians under Pharaoh said, oh, we're going to follow after them. We're going to destroy them. We see that in verse 17 and 18. Behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians. They will follow them. I will get me honor among Pharaoh and upon the, his host, upon his chariots, upon his horsemen. That, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Why do you do that? Because he wanted the Egyptians, and not just the Egyptians, but the whole world to know he was Lord. Oftentimes, God does things in our life, and we don't know why he does it. I tell you, a lot of times, so people would see, that's the Lord. That's the Lord. The Lord is doing this. Oh, how many hard, hard leaders we've seen in the past. Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. He was hard-hearted. Had to have a statue of himself made of gold. And those we're dear Hebrew, Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So, no, we will not bow down to the sound of the music. Remember, they threw them in the fiery furnace. Oh, they made, it, they made the furnace hotter and hotter and hotter. But there was one inside that furnace like unto the Son of God, Jesus Christ, I believe. Oh, that hard-hearted old king who wanted to be worshipped looked in there and saw those three men, yea, now four, and he recognized that God, not himself, should be praised. Oh, think about Pilate. They're standing before Jesus, questioning him, uh, wondering about him, even though he'd been warned by his own wife who had dreams about Jesus. Here he is, he's, here he is questioning Jesus, saying, what is truth? When truth incarnate was right in front of him. He was that close to salvation. He was right there. He could have accepted him, but he didn't. Think about Satan himself, who was Lucifer, who was so beautiful, I believe, so talented, so musical, yet because of his pride and the hardness of his heart. God will even use these men like Nebuchadnezzar and Pilate and Satan himself for his glory, that the world may know that Jesus Christ is Lord. He will use them. He will use them. It's how we'll harden Pharaoh's heart. And he did. We see the command. We see the concrete hearts. We see the cloud of contrast in verses 19 and 20. If you need direction, you know, he'll go before you. If you need protection, he'll go behind you. If your enemy's pursuing, if you need, if you need affection, he'll be your side and comfort you because he's the comfort. If you, if you want salvation and strength, he will save you. He will help you. He will lead you. He will guide you. If you're suffering from rejection, if you're suffering from dejection, he will be above you. He will encourage you. If you need a foundation, he will stabilize you. Oh, how wonderful is our God. How wonderful is God. The pillar settled before Pharaoh's armies like a fog. It was darkness to them, but a light to Israel. 
And that's how God is to the world. They don't celebrate Christmas. All they care about is just the gifts and the getting and the glitz and the glamour. And what can I get, get, get? What can I get? Well, dear Christmas is not about getting. Christmas is about giving. That's what Christmas is about. It's about giving. It's what Christ has done for us. It's what Christ has done for us. How different it is. The world, the world sees God and they think we're mad. They think we're out of our mind. We think, we think we're strange. And I'm sure these, these Egyptians, as they looked up and saw that pillar and, and how dark it was, they thought, oh, how difficult it must be for the children of Israel. They're in the same plight, same plight. but it wasn't. It was a light to them. God's omnipotent, defends, blesses, saves the saints, but it's hostile towards the wicked. God's eternity is given to the Christian for a dwelling place, but it is a nightmare for the unsaved person to be tormented in hell forever. Oh, dear friends, if the news of a loved one passing away for most folks, it would destroy their whole world because a person is everything. But dear friend, this life is so temporal. Everything that we see is not that much. Oh, dear friend, dear friend, on the other side, that's the that's that's what's going to be real forever and ever. This place, all that we see is, is going to be is going to be destroyed. The first time in a flood, but the second time by global warming. Read Peter. <laughs> it's going to be destroyed by fervent heat. Everything's going to be gone. It's going to be a new. We're going to have a new heaven and a new earth. And this place that we we focus so much on right now is going to be gone, and we're going to be gone. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness unto him. Neither can we know, he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. They can't grasp the eternal. They're ever learning. They're ever seeking. But they can't find the truth, because they don't know the truth. You see the command, the concrete hearts, the cloud of contrast, and the crossing of the sea. In verses 21 and 22, in Judges he, in Judges, he turns the sword to the Midianites against themselves with Gideon's 300 men who sounded out their trumpets. And Esther, the gallows built for Mordecai were used to hang them, hang wicked Haman. And Daniel, the lions that were meant to destroy Daniel, ended up destroying his enemies. The New Testament saw on his way to wreak havoc upon the church, saved on that Damascus road, now become a, becomes a proclaimer of the gospel. God can change things. God can change things. And God changed things that day for the children of Israel and for Egypt. Oh, dear friend, if you're hedged about with problems and obstacles, recognize that God's on your side. I love that quote by Bob Jones Sr. You and God make up the majority. The world may be against you. You, feel, you may feel like you're all alone this, this evening. You may feel like no one cares. Let me tell you, dear friend, God's on your side. If God's on your side, who else do you need tonight? You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You have his word. And dear friend, you have the church of God. You have the church of God. Thank God that he's with us. Isaiah 43, verse 2, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, thou shalt overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Oh, what a, what a wonderful promise from the word of God. The faith of Moses enabled him to ignore the sight. Oh, the sight. 
had to be frightful. <laughs> the sea before them, the gypsums behind them, but, in, in, but trusting in the word of God alone, he lifted the rod and the Red Sea parted. Oh, dear friend, trust in the word. The word of God is the same word that was given to Moses. It's the word of God. It's powerful. It's quick and powerful and sharper than two-edged sword. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now, where did they cross the Red Sea? Now, some of this is a little technical, but stick with me, would you? Would you stick with me? I read about Dr. Lennart uh, Moeller uh, from the Institute, uh, Karolinski Institute in Stockholm, Sweden. And he, say, he said, with confidence, we can know exactly where they crossed the Red Sea. These things recorded in the film, and I encourage you, I've watched this film called The Exodus Revealed, Searching, Search for the Red Sea Crossing. Very interesting. If you have a chance to read it, it's encouraging to read. He said he trained in marine biology and architecture and archaeology. In the spring of 2000, he found the answer he was looking for. It says uh, the material revealed the paths that Israel took across the Sinai Peninsula. It's not the one you find in many of the maps. He shows that Moses most likely went across the Sinai to the land of Midian. We've settled for 40 years. It was the same basic path it was taken when Israel uh, left Egypt. Dr. Moeller shows that Mount Sinai, the destination of Moses, is not the traditional place the Sinai Peninsula, but was located in the land of Midian known as the Arabian Peninsula. And he gives several details about that. And I'll skip some of this. But he said, basically, God led his people straight across the Sinai. They turned south on the west side of the Gulf of Aquaba and traveled along the seabeds hemmed in by steep walls of rock 2,000 feet high. They went 18 miles through this wadi or dry riverbed, then caught their first glimpse of the mouth of the canyon that opened up to the sea. This pass is called the Wadi Watur. Pitharatha, we mentioned that last week, was the place of their encampment. It means the mouth of the gorge. Now, by the grace of God, again, I had the opportunity uh, when I go over to Israel to basically do nothing for a day, go shopping. I said, no. What is my other options? Well, it said either you can go to Egypt and see the, and see the pyramids or you can uh, go to Petra. And I'd like to go see Petra. But Petra or Egypt, I decided to go to, Petra. I go to, go to Egypt. So by the grace of God, I'm going to get to see this and ask them some of the questions exactly where is this place where it was crossed and talk to them more about this. But basically, he was saying, going on to say, the Hebrew manuscripts call the body of water here, the Red Sea, the Gulf of Aqaba, as part of the Yam Yuf, which is a very deep up to one mile and is surrounded by rugged mountains. Seventy miles north of the Straits of Tehran is the Nuba Peninsula where the crossing took place. This is a huge beach area which would accommodate the Hebrews. How could they cross the area of a, a mile-deep valley that ran through the bottom of the Gulf of Aqaba for 50 miles? The answer is at the Nueva Peninsula. A very wide, flattened bridge raises several thousand feet in the section of the sea from the seafloor. It has no coral, rock, or mud, but is a thin layer of sand. It would be a perfect for crossing once the water was removed by God. The depth of the water there is around 275 feet. Because one of the things that the, the folks say about the Red Sea, it, some people say, well, it's just a reed sea. It, you, they could just walk across it. No, dear friend, this was God. This was God. God. God caused this to happen. This wasn't just, you know, a few little, a hundred or two Israelites, you know, walking across a little bit of creek bed. No, dear friend, this was somewhere between two and a half to three million people going across a sea. God did this. 
It's miraculous. We're still talking about it today, thousands of years later. God did this, dear friends. God did this. It says in Exodus chapter 14, 6 and 7, He made ready his chariot and took his people with him. He took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over the, every one of them. They were going to follow after these, these his Israelites. And Brother Gilbert asked last week, Are there any relics in the chariots left in the area? He asked me last week, Yes. In 1997, coral structures in the shape of chariots and axle wheels were found. Man-made structures with 90-degree angles, arches, or circular chariot wheels and axles were discovered by divers in a Phantom 300 robot camera. A gilded wheel of gold, silver was found. It resembled four-spoke chariot wheels painted on Egyptian walls dated during the time of the Exodus. These ob-shaped, unnatural coral were found everywhere like junk in a junk, Lord, like debris that resulted from a catastrophic event. Metal detectors discovered bronze metal in the coral. Eight miles East of the Nuava Peninsula on the Saudi Arabian side, the Bible says bodies were found on the shore after the Red Sea crashed upon the Egyptians. This area was also explored and a coral encrusted chariot wheel was found. These four and six spoke chariot wheels were used no later than 1400 BC. The evidence presented one gives one confidence that we now know the location of the crossing of the Red Sea. Praise God for that. So we see the command, the concrete hearts, the cloud of contra contrast, the actual crossing of the sea with the chase of the Egyptians. You may say to yourself, why in the world would the Egyptians go after these Hebrews? Why would they do it knowing there was darkness? Why would they do it? Well, why do anybody make stupid mistakes in their life? Number one reason, pride. Pride. Whenever there's an argument between your, you and your wife, gentlemen, Lady, it's because pride. When you argue on which way the Christmas tree light should be hung to 2 o'clock in the morning, till you fight over they're going to be whole potatoes or mashed potatoes, and you argue and you ruin Christmas over mashed potatoes or whole potatoes, it's your pride. I, I said it's your pride. I, I said, it's your pride. <laughs> it, it, you know, some, some folks got it. Some folks didn't get it. <laughs> and maybe you didn't get it because it's your pride. The reason why we fail, dear friends, is because we are pride. Your arguments, your struggles, <laughs> why do they keep going? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You know the best thing you can do, man, when, you, when, you, when your wife says to you, you know, after you've done argued which, which way the, the tinsel should go and how many ornaments or all that kind of stuff, you know what you got to do. You just got to say, I was wrong to say you were wrong. Or you could just ruin the whole damn Christmas. Just ruin You just go ahead. Just go ahead and do it. Some of the biggest rows you will ever have in your life is when you go on vacation. Nobody here had a row on your vacation. Every time you go somewhere, you just everything's just perfect. I mean, you get all stressed out, you know. You, you can't wait to go. You pack everything in the whole world. You, you pack about 50 times more than you actually really need to pack. Or you don't pack at all, one of the two. Usually one of the two extremes. 
And then you get down the road, and every time you get down the road, it ain't five minutes, you done forgot something. Then you argue, first argument, should you go back or not? The man don't want to go back. And secondly, he don't want to look at a map either. He's just going to go. <laughs> and if it gets lost, he don't stop and ask nobody. He's just going to get lost. How many of you men have done it? And, well, you, some of you men have me honest. You need to go down to the altar tonight before it's over with now. Come on. <laughs> I've done it myself. Last Christmas, I told you my horror story on my anniversary that I almost died on my anniversary because I didn't listen to my wife, which I should have listened to. But our pride keeps us. Secondly, the reason why we fail, our bitterness. We get bitter. Oh, Pharaoh is bitter. Oh, man, somebody gets up, somebody gets a one's-ups on you. Somebody, oh, man, I shouldn't have let, I shouldn't have let this happen. Oh, you know, man, I, you know, I'm going to share in the film, in the film, which I don't know, of course, is not 100% biblically accurate. We know that Pharaoh's wife basically goaded him and saying, hey, <laughs> you let this guy, this slave, come back from nothing and lead these children and your, your child's laying here dead and here he is left with all the gold and all the stuff. Now, I don't know if that actually was true or not or actually happened. I would not be surprised. But for whatever reason, I guarantee you his pride caused him to leave and go after the children of Israel and he was bitter, he was angry. And what happened? Oh, dear friend, a lot of people are bitter. A lot of people are bitter, don't even know they're bitter. God took away from something. God took something away from you, and you're still mad about it. God said no. I meet people on visitation all the time. You used to, used to come to church. You used to be Sunday school teachers. You used to sing in the choir. You used to, used to, used to wave our hands behind this. You used to preach. And I say, what happened to you? They got degrees in Bible. They got degrees in education. They got degrees. They, I mean, they degreed to death. But you know what they don't have? They don't have a heart for God because they got bitter. So-and-so deacon or preacher or some lady at the church said something to them at one time and they got mad. But dear friend, church is like a family. You ever got mad at your family? Yeah, you have. You probably will this Christmas season. But dear friend, church is just like that. Every time you, we, there's no church that's perfect and there's no perfect place. It's just, it's just reality. Wherever you go, you meet people. When you got people, you're going to have imperfect things. You're going to have imperfect things. But you know what? People get bitter and get mad. And oh, dear friend, that's how the devil destroys a lot of people. The Bible says in Proverbs 14 16, a wise man feareth departed from evil, but a fool rages and is confident. The fool throws off the restraint. It's reckless. They're blind in their destruction. The heathen are sunk down the pit they made in the net, which they, they hid their foot taken. Hebrews 12 15, looking diligently, lest enemy and fall in the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and there be be defiled. Be careful about bitterness. You don't get what you think you should have got at Christmas time. Don't get bitter. Somewhere here, somebody here just today, you didn't get enough Christmas cards compared to somebody else. You saw their stack compared to your stack. You got bitter. You didn't get to eat what you get. You supposed to eat every year. Been eating for fifty years. You didn't get that what you supposed to eat on Christmas, and you didn't get it. Don't get bitter. Dear friend, that's what the devil wants you to do. This world doesn't need another bitter Christian staying at home Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, week after week, because somebody's something, somebody's done something they shouldn't have done, and you just quit because you got bitter at God. It happens all the time. 
command, the concrete hearts, the cloud of contrast, the crossing of the Red Sea, the chase of the Egyptians, the confusion and chaos. When the first watch began at sunset from 10 to 10 p.m., the middle watch from 10 to 2, the morning watch was 2 a.m., the sunrise, April, the sunrise would be in about 5.45 a.m. in Egypt. God trembled the host, which means he threw them into confusion and panic. How you do this? You scared them to death with earthquakes and lightning, heavy rains. Psalm 77, 16, the waters saw they, the, oh God, the waters saw the, the afraid and depths were troubled. The clouds poured out water. The skies went, went out, uh, went out, sent out sound. Thine arrows went abroad. The, the voice of a thunder was the heaven, the lightnings lighting the world. The earth trembled and shook. The waves in the sea, the path of the great waters, and they, the footsteps are not known. They led us that people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. What happened? Ultimately, they took off their chariot wheels. It means their wheels were clogged, jammed, or bogged down with the mud. The Bible says in, in Job chapter 5 or 12, he disappointed, he disappointed the devices of the crafty. So their own hands cannot perform their enterprise. Yes, they were a better army. Yes, they had better materials. Yes, they had chariots. But the one thing they did not have, they did not have God. And your enemies may be multiplied. Must, may, be, may be wealthier. Maybe have maybe bigger, maybe stronger, but you have God on your side. Do not fear. Do not fear. The harvest is past. The summer is ended. We are not saved. The Egyptians would be destroyed. The Egyptians would be destroyed. We see the, finally the covering of the chariots. All the Egyptians are wiped out. I believe this includes the Pharaoh. Josephus says the army of Pharaoh consisted of 50,000 horses, 200,000 foot soldiers, of whom not one remained to carry the tide. Tidings of the most extraordinary catastrophe. Psalm 106, verse 11, the waters covered the enemies. There was not one left. Psalm 136, 15, but over, they overthrew Pharaoh and his hosts in the Red Sea, for his mercy endureth forever. What do we learn? What do we learn from here? For first of all, those who attempt to do things without faith, what believers succeed to try to do by faith will fail. What's the key to success in life? Doing what God wants you to do by faith. The world doesn't have faith. All the world has is simply facts. All they have is what they see. But dear friend, what we have is what we can't see. Christianity is about faith. It's about trust. They want, if they can't see it, smell it, feel it, hear it, feel it, touch it, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not. But Moses would not be successful based on what he could see. It had to be on what he could not see. He had to be on believing God and trusting God to lift up that rod and stick his foot into the Red Sea and that he would do exactly as he says he said. We need faith. We need to trust in God. Secondly, those who seek to obtain by their own efforts what believers obtain by faith will fail. The Hebrews crossed the Red Sea by faith, but the Egyptians did not. By faith, believers obtained salvation and peace with the Lord. Those who desire salvation outside of Jesus Christ by their works, by their deeds, will face certain doom and destruction. There is no peace without Jesus Christ. There is no hope without Jesus Christ. There is no help, true help outside of Jesus Christ. There is no help outside of Jesus Christ. This world cannot, cannot offer you enough to truly help you in your life. It's only through God. It's only through a relationship. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, 23. I've, heard, I've, I've shared these words many times with you, but I'll share them again. Not everyone that saith me, Lord, 
Lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. That's the key. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we have not prophesied in thy name. Have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have cast out devils, in thy name have done many wondrous works. See, they were trusting in what they'd done for God. And dear friend, I say it again. There's many a Baptist are in hell today because they believe they get to heaven by trusting what they did for God. There were Sunday school superintendents. There were Sunday school teachers. There were choir members. There were deacons. There were trustees. There were preachers. There were preachers' wives. There were deacons. There were deacons' wives. And they trusted in what they did to somehow get them to heaven. But none of that gets you to heaven. What did Jesus say? Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Oh, dear friend, knowing Jesus is the most important thing in the world. Knowing God. Knowing God. Dennis Hensley stated when he was a newspaper reporter, he did a feature on training procedures for Air Force pilots. One flight condition a pilot must understand is hypoxia or oxygen starvation. Students are paired off in an altitude simulation chamber with oxygen masks on. They're taking the simula uh, simulated conditions of 30,000 feet. When one student removes his mask for a few minutes and begins to answer simple questions on a sheet of paper, suddenly their partner forces oxygen max on the uncovered mouths and noses of the people who are riding. After a few gulps of more air, each rider is astounded at what he sees on this paper. The first few written lines are legible, but the last few lines are unreadable. <laughs> one minute later, the participant was absolutely sure he had written his answers in perfectly legible script. In reality, he was on the verge of losing total consciousness. He did not even know he was blacking out. Sim similarly, people do not know when they're spiritually starved. When I get ready to go to Kentucky tomorrow, I'll probably grab me some Mountain Dews and some Monsters and some junk food because I don't have a whole lot of time to fix me a nice breakfast. I probably won't have time to sit down and enjoy a well-balanced meal. I'll just probably get here to there. And that's just because you got to get here to there. It's just part of it. But you know what? That's how some people live their whole Christian life, on spiritual junk food. Dear friend of Christianity, if all it is is coming to church three times a week, you've not got enough. You've not got enough. There's a whole lot more. Do your life, do you want your life to be different? Moses, 40 years he was in the backside of the desert tending sheep. Now, on every, in every, every city, just about in the United States, in most places of the world, somebody is preaching about Moses. But it really wasn't about Moses. Moses just lifted a rod. It was God. He had faith in God. And the same faith that God gave Moses, he will give to you. Will you ask for that faith? Will you trust him to help you when you're in between the devil and the deep blue sea? Father, we thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for kindness. Thank you, Lord, for putting us in pickles thank you for the problems thank you for the predicaments thank you for the difficult times thank you for the struggle thank you for the hardship 
Thank you for the pain. Thank you for loss. Thank you, Lord. So only in these times do we realize how desperately, desperately we need you. Maybe you're here tonight and that's your condition and you finally have recognized it. Maybe your family has issues. Nobody knows about it, but you're constantly arguing. Husband and wife bickering about one thing. Oh, bickering about toys, bickering about this, bickering about all kinds of stuff. There's no peace in your home. Maybe in your, maybe in your life right now, you, as I said, you got no money. You don't have a dime. You don't have hardly any money for Christmas. You thought about these things you were going to give two months ago, and you can't, you can't give $100. You can't give $100. You don't have $100 to give. And maybe you're, you're right there because you need to see exactly our need of God and call out on him today for help. Maybe it's not marriage troubles or finances. Maybe it's some other area of your life. Whatever it is, would you turn to God today and say, Lord, I need your help today. I'm in a problem. I'm in a difficulty. I'm struggling. I admit my pride, my bitterness, whatever it may be, and you call out on God to help you. As the piano plays this evening, let's stand to our feet. Whatever your need is this evening, if you're here tonight and you don't know Christ is your Savior, would you come?